Let's turn in our Bibles to the book of Acts, the book of Acts. We are um, going through a series entitled Finding the One and True God. And as we've been looking here in Acts chapter number 17, we recognize that as the Apostle Paul is at uh, Mars Hill, he's at the uh, before the Areopagus, um, which is at Mars Hill. And that's our namesake here that our church is named after. Um, and it's named from this account here in Acts chapter number 17. And so he gives this speech, which is uh, some have no, uh, some uh, theological scholars have called it uh, the speech to the unknown God. And uh, as uh, Paul gives this speech, uh, he had gone throughout the city and he was talking to the people in the synagogues and in the marketplace and sharing with them about uh, Christ and who Christ was. And as he was sharing this, they were saying, what is this new teaching that you're bringing? And so they invited him before the Areopagus to be able to share uh, this testimony. And we're looking at this uh, testimony that he shared in Acts chapter number 17. And uh, last week we began uh, reading at verse number 22. And I want to read there as we continue on to part two, as we looked to this speech here, starting at verse number 22. And it reads, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now, if you recognize what was going on is that they had various altars to their various gods. And so uh, each of the gods that they thought were prominent or needed attention, they would create an altar for that god. And so they would make sure that uh, the the goddess of fertility would have an altar and the, the goddess of rain and provision would have uh, an altar. And so in making sure that, hey, maybe there are some gods that I forgot about. They would even get an altar to what was known the unknown God. So they said, hey, if I forgot about you, just point to the unknown God. I mean, it's kind of like the Christmas gift that you have hiding in the attic when, you know, somebody you didn't plan to give a Christmas gift to comes by. And you're like, oh, yeah, let me go up to the to the attic. I got I, I had a gift put away just for you. And, and my parents were good at that. I mean, we, I had to wrap round cookie tins every year. I, they'd buy like. 20 or 30 of these cookie tins and somebody would just come by and she's like, they just go, go right under the tree. It's like, yes, we have that right for you. And you're, they're sneaking by, writing your name right along there. Well, this is what they were doing in Athens. That, hey, they worshiped all these gods, but just in case one god would come by and say, hey, where is, where is the attention you're paying to me? They had an altar to the unknown god. And what Paul says here, he says, now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. It's interesting that they knew that there might be something else. And what Paul was saying, that something else is actually bigger, greater than you could ever think of. All these that you're worshiping as all these various gods and deities, they are not the true God. But I want to introduce you to the true God. He read, uh, it reads on in verse number 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in tem temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath 
and everything else. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity that we have to gather together even here today. We thank you, Lord, that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our pathway. We pray, Lord, that even as we look to this scripture, we would even recognize how you, O Lord, have called us to be your children, have redeemed us, O God, Lord, and put your stamp of approval upon us that we may walk worthy of the calling to which we have been called. I pray that even as I share this message this morning, Lord, that you would help me. Lord, I would decrease so that you may increase. Be glorified in all that is said and done in Jesus name. Amen. I got a question for you. What does this city know about luxury? Huh? What does a town that's been to hell and back know about the finer things in life? Well, I'll tell you more than most. You see, it's the hottest fires that make the hardest steel. Add hard work and conviction and the know-how that runs generations deep in every last one of us. That's who we are. That's our story. Now, it's probably not the one you've been reading in papers one being written by folks who've never even been here and don't know what we're capable of. Because when it comes to luxury, it's as much about where it's from as who it's for. Now we're from America, but this isn't New York City, or the Windy City, or Sin City, and we're certainly no one's Emerald City. Detroit. The year was 1900, the turn of the century. Detroit was the 13th largest city in the United States with 285,000 residents. At the turn of the century, Detroit was prominently situated to become the motor capital of the world. Detroit had easy access to railways and waterways, which meant shipping products and getting supplies was easier. It had many manufacturing plants, which also meant that parts could be made locally if necessary. Finally, the advances of Henry Ford in making the first automated assembly line made Detroit the hub of automotive innovation. A car from Detroit was known for its impeccable quality, for it truly was the Motor City. And where it was from said much about the quality that was produced in it. 
1915, 13 out of the country's 15 most popular car brands were headquartered in the Detroit area. But as mass production came, the quality began to decrease and Detroit no longer had its quality stamp of approval. Many people are not aware that even before the bailout of 2011, many of the automotive companies had experienced their own troubles and resets. But despite all of these issues, this ad which was produced by Chrysler Corporation in 2011, part of their Super Bowl campaign, it represented the idea that they were returning back to what made them the Detroit region, the Motor City, the impeccable quality, style, and comfort that many had come to know. Chrysler launched a campaign entitled Imported from Detroit. What they were trying to do with that campaign was to help people be reminded that when something came with the Detroit name, it stood for something with quality. Many of you know that I am a lawyer and my particular area of practice is within intellectual property law. And within that, we have what is known as trademark law. And within trademark law, there's a particular area which is known as collective mark or geographical indication mark. These are marks that when we see them, they indicate that something is of a particular geographic origin and you can know the quality of it is in accordance with where it has come from. Many of you have heard of Vidalia onions. Did you know that Vidalia onions were first grew in the area of Vidalia, Georgia in the early 1930s? And so that only those which are grown in this near region in the area of Georgia can be called Vidalia onions? Pay attention next time you go and buy sweet onions rather than Vidalia onions. <laughs> Did you also know that Florida oranges have a geographical indication mark that only oranges grown in Florida can be called Florida oranges? Basmati rice is another one, or Idaho potatoes. Now, while often geographical marks are used on food products, they can be used to identify any product that may be associated with a specific geographic place. Producers often get market recognition and a premium price because of the recognized quality or cultural traditions of producing a product. Many of you may have heard of Kobe beef, which uh, uh, many of the Kobe beef sliders that many of you buy are not true Kobe beef. But if you had the real Kobe beef, which was from Japan, you would be paying a premium for that type of or cut of meat. See, trademarks are in place so that you can be able to tell that something is of the particular quality that it is claiming. That something is genuine, authentic, and it is not a knockoff or fake. You see, the reason why something you would want to be able to indicate that something is genuine, because when it comes from a particular region or area, it may take more skill, labor or effort or precision to produce while a knockoff may be produced at much simpler cost, much less labor, much less effort. But you can see the difference in craftsmanship and authenticity. If trademarks are used to identify products, I wonder what would be God's identification mark for those who belong to him. 
You see, they talk about this aspect that we are imported uh, from Detroit in this ad, but I'd like to proclaim that we are imported from the kingdom of God. And if we understand what that truly represents, we would see that is not something that we would take lightly. You see, first Peter chapter two and verse number nine, it tells us the, that we are a chosen people. Some versions say a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, saying that we are God's own, meaning that we are not import. We are imported from the kingdom of God and we are not just a byproduct of our own strength, our own ingenuity or our own creativity. You have been birthed by an infinite God who is wise and knows all things. And every time that he says this is a part of my creation, there should be a pride the same way that they said they're imported from Detroit, that you say that you are imported from the kingdom of God. You have God's stamp on you in everything that you say and that you do. What does it mean to be imported from the kingdom of God? Well, as we look at the scriptures here in Acts chapter number 17, we realize that Paul is saying something about what was going on. And in verse number 24, he says, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. Imported from the kingdom of God means that number one, that we are purposefully created by an infinite God to reflect his image in the earth. Imported from the kingdom of God means that we are purposefully created by an infinite God to reflect his image on the earth. You see, one writer has said, God makes people. People do not make God. When we look around us, many people choose to worship the God of their own creation. What do I mean? They want to worship a God that is palatable to their own tastes. They want to worship a God that pleases them 100% of the time. They want to worship a God that depends on their existence for significance and relevance. You see, a God that we create A God that only fits our mold, a God that we only can imagine in our own minds will always be limited by our finitude, meaning that God, the God that we create will be based upon our own desires and they will always be outdated after we have created him. It's like getting a computer these days. You can buy it and probably after you've taken it out of the store, you've already been outdated. I mean, if you buy an iPad, you're wondering, all right, I got to figure out when I'm going to buy it. I better get it right when it comes out because six months to a year later, there's something else new coming out. Another model, something else that's coming along the line. You see, the realization is that if we are creating what we want God to be simply out of what we think God should be, we're always going to be missing the mark. We will always have a God that is an outdated model of what we need. But the blessing of the fact is the realization that the God who is infinite above our ability to even think him up or conjure him up extends beyond time limitations that we have, extends beyond our ability to comprehend and understand things. But he understands from each eternity to eternity, everything that may ever transpire or take place. You see, before even some situations happened in my life, my understanding of things was very limited. Before kids came into the picture, I thought, you know, everybody should be on time to everything. But then have a toddler, have a newborn, 
And then right when you're about to run out the window, I mean, run out the, run out, run out the door. <laughs> no kids are going out the window. <laughs> right when you're about to run out the door. <laughs> Kid decides, hey, <laughs> I'm not on your schedule. <laughs> schedule? Who's schedule? You're on my schedule. I, you know, if I understood all these things just simply based upon my world, I, I, I would just only understand and create a God that was able to meet the immediate demands of what I've gone through. But I'm glad that even before I had children, God was preparing me to be a husband and to be a father even before I knew what I needed. So that even before that season, God was teaching me how to be patient. God was teaching me how to use Clorox bleach, excuse me, Clorox bleach to wipe off walls where crayons went. God was teaching me that just because they throw all their food on the floor doesn't mean that they don't like your cooking. They just consider it art. You see, God was preparing me even before I got to that place. And a God that is infinite can see beyond where we are right now and see into the needs that we may have even beyond what we're able and capable of even comprehending. Even as I look and my parents are are going into their latter years and as they're going into the latter years and and, and we're seeing some of the needs that they have, I I couldn't have comprehended. I mean, my my dad was the strong man all the time. And so when I see my dad weaker than normal, I'm wondering, oh, Lord, how do I work through those situations? But God knew he knew everything. And even those who we consider our heroes, at some point, they'll realize the limitations of their strength. You see. When mankind is patterned after a God that is not of this world, it presents epic possibilities, recognizing that we are made in the image of an infinite God. Paul says that he is the God who has made the world and everything in it. He's made the world and everything in it. In trademark terms, there's something special about coming from the one who has made the world and everything in it. You think coming from Vidalia, Georgia is something to celebrate. You think about having your oranges coming from the state of Florida is something to celebrate. You think that your potatoes, that they came from Idaho and they're mm, good. I mean, you think that all of these things, you're not simply just imported from Detroit. You are made by the infinite God and you are imported from the kingdom of God. And made by the creator of all of the universe. Can you cannot register in your mind to think that God who has made the world and everything in it has said that you're a part of his creation. He doesn't just say, oh, man, I know we're in Vidalia, Georgia, but uh, don't claim that onion. Don't claim that one. He says, no, these are all a part of my creation. They're beautiful. And I created them in my image. Well, what is imported from the kingdom of God mean? Well, number one, it means that when we are imported from the uh, kingdom of God, it means that we are purposely created by an infinite God to reflect his image in the earth. But number two, it means that we serve a God that is bigger than us. To be imported from the kingdom of God means that we serve a God that is bigger than us. 
Look here in Acts chapter number 17 and verse number 24 through 25. And it reads, the God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of the heaven and earth. And it says, and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. We serve a God that is bigger than us. You see, sometimes you have to examine your objects of worship to see if they are worthy of the place that you have given them. The Apostle Paul was speaking to a Greek audience who lavished in pagan worship. And what do they mean? It means they worship anything that could be worshiped as long as it made them feel good. They thought if they did not proper uh, get honor to a deity, that that deity could bring sickness or misfortune upon their household so that they just find, all right, I'm just going to make sure and cover all of my bases in order to ensure that I worship everybody. But have you thought if any of these deities were worthy of the worship that they were giving to them? Or did they simply out of convenience worship all of them, hoping that in some way they would cover all of their bases? You see, we spend time worshiping God's lowercase that never should have been worshiped in the first place. We can worship the God of beauty. And so while God has created beautiful things, natural things, natural beauty in in us, We can worship at the altar of beauty and think that because of physical appearance, we'll do anything. We can worship at the God of prosperity, not the aspect that we appreciate the prosperity that God brings, but the aspect where we begin to worship and allow prosperity be the end all and be all of everything. So we're willing to achieve or to get to prosperity at all costs. We worship the God of prosperity. We worship the God of pride, where we think so highly of ourselves that we become God ourselves. No one is greater than us, our thoughts, our creativity. We just sit back and just listen to ourselves. Ooh, that was great. (laughs) We look in the mirror and just say, ooh, that's beautiful. And not to acknowledge the fact of what God has done within us. But we can allow pride to become a God in and of itself. Well, lest I mention all of the good things and neglect this other aspect, we can also worship the God of fear. Some of us worship at the God of beauty and prosperity or pride, but some of us worship the God of fear. We're driven and motivated by fear. We allow ourselves to do or not to do things based upon fear. Fear drives everything and every decision that we do. We, when some opportunity comes up, we first think about the fact, well, what will happen when I'm embarrassed and don't achieve this? Our first thought is to pay honor to the God of fear, not realizing that that was never a deity that we were called to worship in the first place. Day after day, we come to these gods, giving them all that we are, all while losing what truly made us unique in the first place, that we are not of this world. We are from the creator of this world, and we have a trademark that marks us as genuinely imported from the kingdom of God. 
You see, day after day, Paul was looking at these people who ran after God and gods that lived in human temples. They had all these gods who were sitting there and, and they would have temples. And their thought was that some of these gods lived in these human temples and that they needed their sacrifices in order to survive. So, of course, you know, you would bring the choices of meats. Why would you bring the choices of meat? Well, the God in the, the God in the temple has to eat. So he'd like a nice Angus cut steak. He'd like a nice cut of meat. But what Paul was saying was that you are giving your most prized possession to a counterfeit. You're coming and worshiping all of these gods, but yet you've never examined, are they worthy of the worship that you are giving to them on a daily basis? And some of us, we need to pause in our lives long enough to examine some of the things, some of the things that we give attention and credence to. And and in an aspect that some of the things that we've allowed to become gods in our lives, because we realize that we serve at the altar of them and we give our lives over to them because we have not served and found the true and living God. We serve other gods that try and replace the place that was designed for God. You know, it's interesting because there are counterfeits all around us. I was listening to the news the other day and they were talking about being aware of scams that were happening on the Internet on Craigslist about those people who were offering apartments for sale, but really didn't own the apartment that they were offering for sale. For those of you who are here in the Boston area, they had apartments in Beacon Hill area, two bedroom apartment for one thousand dollars. Now, if you don't know or have context to what I'm saying, you, you, you probably can't get a parking spot for $1,000 in Beacon Hill, let alone a two-bedroom apartment. And so they, are, they issued the report saying that be aware because these people, they'll come, they'll collect your money, which is the quote-unquote security deposit, and you will never see them again. And they're saying that, listen, make sure that before you hand over money, before you hand over a cashier's check or money order, that you know and ensure that they are the proper owners, that they can actually give you a license to, I mean, a lease to be able to live there. And so it doesn't matter just because you paid someone money if you don't have keys at the end of the day and the keys actually fit the door into the place that you're trying to get into, you'll be sitting out on the street. Counterfeits loom all around us. And just because we spend our time worshiping various things does not mean that they are authentic and genuine and that we should be giving our lives over to them. I've walked with many people who have worshiped and it has not been that their aspect of worship has not been genuine, but they've never examined that what I've turned my worship over to was it worthy of my life that I was given over to them. See, any God that can be contained or worshiped through a dead earthly creation is too small a God. And this is what Paul was saying. If these gods had to live in earthly temples and they could be contained in earthly temples, these gods were too small. This is not the infinite God of all of the universe. They're a God who needs a house. Listen, and this is what God says about himself. You cannot contain me in an earthly temple. Aren't you glad for that? Because what that means is that whether we're here in Boston, Massachusetts, or whether we're in Bangladesh, or whether we're in South Africa, or whether we're in China, whether we're in Malaysia, wherever we're at, God is not limited to a specific region. 
You see, the president of the United States, he travels around and there's an entourage that goes around with them and there's security detail. And there are people who have to go in advance to make sure that all the security is cleared. And there's a plane that has his name, president of the United States. And everywhere he goes, there's people that are traveling alongside of him. And if our God was that way, guess what? We would know that that God is limited. Because when president of the United States is doing a debate in Denver, Colorado, he can't still at the same time be in Detroit, Michigan. He can't still at the same time be in Boston, Massachusetts. And even as great as the president of the United States is, and, and, and even with that office and all the things that he may be able to do, if there's something that I need, I can't call upon the president to say, be in Denver and be in Boston at the same time. As a matter of fact, I might call him up, say I'm Pastor Joseph, Joseph Ardafio, and say, oh, let me just check one moment. Don't know you. (laughs) We're from the same continent, man. We're from Africa. Really don't know you. (laughs) The realization is that the president of the United States, at one moment, he has the power to be able to launch a nuclear attack on all of the world. But guess what? He's limited. And what the Apostle Paul was saying was that the gods that they were worshiping, they were limited. They were contained in human houses and human temples. And what that meant was that these gods that they were worshiping could only be as good as the temple that they were in. And they were not the infinite God of all of the universe, which meant that they had to find a God that was bigger than anything earthly that they could attain to. They had to find a God that was bigger than temples, that was bigger than earthly creation, that was bigger than our ability to imagine or comprehend or think. One of the conversations that I've had with a number of people is that is some people will say that, you know, I, I just, you know, if I was creating God, I would have made him differently. I can't worship the God that you worship because I would have, I, I don't believe that that's the God uh, who, who fits my needs. Well, do you really know what your needs are? You think you know what you need, your needs are. But here is a God who is beyond the scope of our ability to comprehend. And he knows those things that we need. He knows those things that are transpiring. He knows everything that is going on. And Paul says this. Listen, the God who's the creator of all the universe, he's not fit into a little temple. He doesn't need your worship. (laughs) Look at the way the apostle Paul puts it. He says he is not verse number 25. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. You know what he's saying? The God who is creator of all the universe is self-sustaining. He doesn't need worship or your worship in order to exist. (laughs) The the Bible woman goes this way to say, listen, if you don't, if you choose not to worship, he'll get the rocks to cry out. He will get inanimate objects to worship him. And so what the what the scriptures are saying is that these these gods who need. Come on, praise me. The God of beauty. Come on, praise me. The God of pride. Come on, praise me. The God of fear, the one that keeps on wanting you to feed them and feed them and feed them. These gods are not self-sustaining. They need the attention and your worship. But when we recognize that the creator of all of the universe 
has spent time in creating us. And he is bigger than our ability to comprehend or to know. We then realize number three in our last point is that our greatest act of worship is to glorify God in everything that we do. Our greatest act of worship is to glorify God in, uh, in everything that we do. You see, you don't have to try and earn your right to be imported from the kingdom of God. Instead, you only need to follow the instructions, thereby allowing God's process of transformation to happen and to let God do his work, renewing you and your genuineness will always show through. It's like someone trying to get a counterfeit and trying to force themselves to say, I'm imported from Detroit. You create your own car. And trying, I mean, you've seen some of these cars where it's not really a BMW, but, you know, they just got the sticker from somewhere in the junkyard and on the back of their, uh, you know, their 1988 uh, um, Acura. <laughs> well, no, that's, that's okay. But their 1988 Honda Accord, they, they, they put a BMW on there. Trying to act as if they're from that particular place. But when you look at it, you say, I can see from a mile away it's a counterfeit. I mean, the beautiful thing is, is some of you have gone shopping in New York. Some of you know some streets and some places and some doors you knock on where, you know, if you if you knock on the door long enough that, you know, somebody will invite you into the back and say, you know, certain things. Some of y'all have been in the barbershop. Somebody open up and say, hey, you need anything right, right here? You need to understand that. But the thing about it is, is that while at the moment it appears that getting something cheap and a knockoff will pay off dividends. If you ever had one of those fake gold watches or necklaces, you ever start to <laughs> start to twitch a little bit? You look in the mirror, start to notice your neck is turning green. Gold is rubbing off. You start to see the quality of the material is not quite as great as you thought it was. You see, the greatest act of worship is to glorify God. And what that means is that you allow God to transform you into the man and woman of God that he's created you to be. And when that process happens, you have the genuine seal that you've been imported from the kingdom of God, that you're not of this world, but that you've been forged in the highest heats of steel. You've come out as a product and the quality that God has designed for you. You know, it, it, what's interesting, and, and, and as I was researching this, what was interesting is that when they looked at the Vidalia onions, you know the reason why that they, 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 they're called sweet onions? It's unusually sweet because of the low amounts of sulfur in the soil where, where the onions are grown. And so they call them Vidalia onions because that particular environment produces a certain kind of produce, a certain kind of product that comes out of it. And when you're imported from the kingdom of God, you've got to know that when you are called, created by the creator of all of the universe, there's a certain pro or product that comes out of the fact that God is your heavenly father. He calls you by name and he says this, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. And the quality that comes from God, it's something you can be proud of. That you can say, I'm imported from the kingdom of God. 
I'm living here on this earth, but I recognize that God is my heavenly father. And as my heavenly father, there are things that he placed into me. And you know, one of the beauties of being imported from the kingdom of God is not the fact that we come out perfect. It's the fact that God transforms the raw parts into something beautiful. You see, what would happen in Detroit is that as they were there, manufacturing and supporting plants began to build up all throughout the city. And the reason why it was known as the Motor City was because when you went to Detroit, every part of the automotive industry was there. Not only the assembly plants, but the suppliers and then the people who were supplying the suppliers and then the people who were supplying the suppliers that were supplying the suppliers that were supplying the suppliers getting to the plant. Everyone and all the needs that were there to support it began to be built around it. And what we need to recognize and to see is that God takes these raw parts. Many of them, they got birds and they got things that need to be forged and need to be stamped and be able to be used. And what God does is he takes these raw parts. He takes them and assembles them together. And sometimes you're wondering, Lord, what are you doing? He says, I'm just working on my assembly. I'm just working on that which I'm building in you. And I'm building your faith and I'm building your confidence and I'm building your ability to trust in me. And I'm building these aspects. And what God says is that throughout the process of life, I am placing my stamp of approval, but it comes through allowing me to transform you. I I believe that one of the greatest marks of seeing that something is imported from the kingdom of God is seeing that God has transformed them into a genuine reflection of his image. And the beauty of it is seeing how they start off as vile people, unredeemed people, and God takes them and makes them his very own. I mean, the beauty of the the beauty of the Christian story is not that it works with just good people. The beauty of the Christian story is not that it just happens. You know, those who like to obey, those who are submissive, those who, you know, just enjoy submitting to authority. Those are the people that it works with. The beauty is that the Christian story works with some hardcore rebels, with some people who were saying, I don't want to have anything to do with God. I was out there doing my dance and everything else. I was out there having fun. I was not thinking to think about God. And while God met Paul out on a Damascus street, he met some of y'all while you were in school. He met some of you while you were at work. He met some of y'all while you were dancing in the club. He met some of y'all while you just happened to say, I'm walking by 1200 Beacon Street and there's a sign that says church and I don't have anything else to do on Sunday. Let me just go in and see. He met some of y'all where you thought you were going to a concert and you go in there and they're talking about something about Jesus. And God met you. He met you even in your mess. And some of you are even standing in your mess today and you're wondering, "Okay, I'm here. And God is saying, if you will allow me to do what I said I will do. You will come out looking like something new. One of the things that happened in Detroit. Was that as they ramped up trying to get more and more products off the line at less and less cost, they began to lose The process that formed cars that were authentic and genuine from Detroit. You slip in cheaper quality products, products, parts. You slip in less attention to detail. 
And soon you begin to see that the end product begins to change. You know, it's often that change may be slowly going on and happening, and it's not until you start to see the quality down the line being affected. Some of you may say, well, you know, I'll just slip and don't really need to read the word of God every day. Don't really need to be at church every Sunday. Do I really need to do all these things for God? But then you start to see that the quality of your relationship with God begins to slip and diminish. But the best thing that we can do, our greatest act of worship, is to glorify him in everything that we do. He transforms people from all of our sickness and disease into newness and reflection of him. And when he does it, it happens not just within the four walls of the church, but you're imported from the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the eternal uninhibited rule and authority of God, which extends to heaven and earth. And so when you are imported from the kingdom of God, it means that you excel more than just in coming to church. It means that you excel in more than just reading your word. It means that you excel just in more than the churchy things that we tend to think of. But when you are imported from the kingdom of God, it means that the quality that is there extends out to everywhere the kingdom extends to. And guess what? Where does the reign of God extend to? Everywhere. He said, you, listen, you were made by the God who has created the heavens and the earth. All that is there. He says there in verse number 24, the God who made the world and everything in it. And in verse 25, he says, because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. So if he gives them life and breath and everything else, that means his reign and his stamp is shown genuine in every one of those places. So the beauty of when we are imported from the kingdom of God is that when we go out into the business world, we walk with godly integrity in the things that we do, that we're out as managers and CEOs, that they begin to see what is going on and what is taking place. What is happening is that the stamp of the imported from the kingdom of God is all on you and that every time that they see that, they recognize that there's something bigger than you that is at work. It's the hand of God. We like being the royal priesthood, but we don't like what is required to make us royalty. We like carrying the name that I'm God's child, but we don't want to go through the molding process. Our greatest act of worship is to glorify God in everything that we do. Our worship is in obedience rather than sacrifice. I want to share this last scripture with you in Psalm chapter number 50 as we close out this morning. Psalms chapter number 50. Psalms chapter number 50. Verse number seven. And it reads, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. I have no need of a bull from your stall 
or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains, and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine, and all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Sacrifice, thank offerings to God, fulfill your vows to the Most High, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you will honor me. What the psalmist was saying was that some had gotten into the habit of offering their sacrifices as a way that they were going to please God. They were worshiping kind of like those who were worshiping in Athens. They found a whole bunch of things and said, well, let me just do everything so I cover my bases. But what God says is, listen, do you really think I need the sacrifice? Do you really think I needed to get the goat or the bull? He says, if I were hungry, I would not tell you. Because the whole world is mine. But worship benefits us in the aspect that it draws us to our Heavenly Father. And it allows us to use that which he has given to us, which is this life, to glorify him. And when we are stamped as imported from the kingdom of God, we glorify him by obeying him and his instructions. The best way that you can glorify him is not by trying to just do a whole bunch of things to do them, but it's by obeying his word and allowing him to transform you and make you into a new creation. When we are stamped as imported from the kingdom of God, it will be as the writer in John says, you'll bear much fruit and by your fruit, we will recognize you. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. A trademark represents the quality of goods. The stamp of God means that you've been created by the eternal, all-knowing, and awesome God. And that you've allowed him to transform you, to grow, to be challenged, and to become a reflection of his image. God created man. We cannot create our own gods that are just palatable to us. But the creator of all of the universe knows everything that we need. And he's already made provision for it. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, I thank you even this morning, Lord, as we have gathered together. I thank you for the fact, Lord, that we can say that we are imported from the kingdom of God. Lord, that your reign, oh God, Lord, which extends to all of the world, Lord. You said even a cattle on a thousand hills is yours. Lord, we thank you that the world belongs to you. And because of that, Lord, we can come to you, Lord, unrestrained, not feeling that we have to come and appease you amongst other gods, but to recognize, Lord, that you have created us with your stamp of approval. We're created in your image, created to reflect you, 
created to reflect your image even here on this earth. Lord, I pray for each and every person under the sound of my voice. I pray that you would even help them to examine some of the areas, Lord, where they have allowed themselves to worship at the altars of false gods. These being gods, Lord, that many of us who even may look at the God of beauty, the God of prosperity, the God of pride. Lord, so many even the ones that I have not even named. Lord, we can worship at these altars, not even realizing that we're giving our lives over to these very things. Father, help us to engage in true worship. Lord, that as we honor you, we would see that you've stamped us as genuine. Those who have been molded in the fire, those who have been crafted in your image. Lord, that you will be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. We give your name the praise, the glory, and the honor. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Come on, let's put our hands together. Amen. 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 Tell your neighbor you're imported from the kingdom of God. Amen. Find another neighbor and tell them you're imported from the kingdom of God. Amen. Amen.